Can you hear me? Good. Well, good morning. Good to see you today, be with you as we open up God's Word together. And so your Bibles should know when they hear my voice to open up to Romans. going to be reading, um, starting with verse 18, as we looked at last week of chapter 8, but today we're focusing on the uh, two verses, verses 26 and 27. So let me pray before I read. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for you. We're very thankful that you have changed our time clocks to include this day as a day that is separated for recognizing who you are, for looking forward to the benefits and the inheritance that we have in Christ, that we are here because you desire us to bring you glory. And as we hear your word today, Lord, as your word goes out and accomplishes everything that you desire it to do, we pray in our hearts prayer, Lord, that those who are here today that don't know you, we pray that they would be surprised. Lord, I pray that for those of us who know know and love you, that we will be comforted and encouraged and edified and strengthened and uh, given assurance of our salvation. So, Lord, as we read these words together, as our eyes look upon them and you hear, and as we hear your word speak to us, and then these two verses, Lord, we, we ask that, that you will water the, the faith that we have and increase it that you will help us to bear great fruit for your glory, no matter where we are, no matter as followers of Christ who we are, whether we have all the energy of the world or we find ourselves struggling day by day, we still ask, Lord, that you give us the desire to bear fruit for you. And so be with us, Lord, now as we hear the very purpose of our coming here today is to glorify you and hear you speak to us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 18 of the book of Romans. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of God, the glory of the children of God. For we know that while creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we, ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows that is what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Something interesting again as we go back and look through the book of Romans as we read this passage, we see uh, the, uh, the word that pops out to me here is in verse 17, if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And then we see in verse 21 that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And going back several weeks, several months, we, I, I can't help but think about this word for glory and, the, and remember what we, we read uh, in the very beginning of the book of, of Romans. For the wrath of God, verse 18 of chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And we realize here in this passage that, that we are completely devoid of any kind of glory whatsoever, nor do we give God glory at all. And yet now what's, what's changed is that we've, we have come to understand what Jesus has done for us as we have been looking at these powerful passages in, in the book of Romans. And we see now that we have the ability to glorify God, which we had none before, and now to even receive glory and to look forward to the day that we will be glorified. And that glory is this passage in chapter 8 is this talking about this sanctification. And he's going to talk about that again in, in, in uh, the uh, few uh, verses uh, coming up next time we get together. Um, but we see this glory that God is promising us and that this glory is this sanctification, this becoming more pure in our life and our lives separating, our, we, we separating ourselves from the life of the world around us and the, 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 the ruler of this present age and the temptation of the world around us and our own sins. And so I just am so thankful that God has given us this great privilege of turning things around for us. And I pray that this is something that you rejoice as we continue to read this. And I hope words just pop up for you because we're going we're gonna to get to this, the passage that everybody looks forward to reading, and that's verse 28, 29, and 30. For we know that for those who love God... All things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then at the end, we started the passage in verse 18 with glory, and now he ends it in, in those who, in verse 30, in whom he predestined, he also called. In those whom he called, he justified. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. And it's, it's uh, this passage of 18 to, the, to that verse 30 seems like a, if you've heard it before, an inclusio, right? A, a bookends, beginning with glory and ending with glory, and then everything in the middle is like, you know, two great slices of bread, and there's a club sandwich in the middle. It's just this kind of stuff oozing out in this great, great passage that God gives us. And, and 
I, I, they can't help but realize verse 28, and we know. What, what, is going, what, is going to, what is Paul going to say to us, or what God's going to say to us, that we can all say that we agree with that affirmation of God, that we know, we can attest to that. We have full confidence that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, and who are called according to his purpose. It's really because of verses 26 and 27. Remember what the Spirit has done for us in Romans 8. In verse 2, we've seen that the Spirit has set us free. In verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law have been met because of the Spirit working within us. The Spirit is life and peace. The Spirit, in verse 11, will raise us from the dead, as he did Jesus. The Spirit, in verse 13, tells us that we can kill and mortify the deeds of the body. Verse 14 tells us, by the Spirit we are now led in a world, in a new life that is glorifying to God and proclaiming the work of Christ. We will... Not yet. There you go. That we learned last week of, uh, and week before, this spirit of adoption, he tells us that, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, and we've been we have this spirit of adoption now as sons of God. All of us, both men and women, are now inheritors because we are now the sons of God. And it says that by whom we cry, Abba, Father, without the work of the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, we could not call God Father. We could not call Him my Father. We would not have that intimate language with Him. And so what I'm thinking that after we've looked last week at as he goes on and kind of helps us with the understanding of what verse 17 was talking about, suffering with him, suffering with Christ in order that we may be also glorified with him. And we looked at, uh, I think, Paul's kind of explanation of talking about what that means. And he said, you know, he tells us that suffering is only temporary, right? At this present time, he talks about it, we will be set free. We eagerly await, so there's going to be a time frame that this suffering is taking place. And he tells us also that, that the reason why the world is the way that it is because of, of, the, of the fall, of Genesis 3. Because he says, for creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility, decay, corruption, frustration. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected, subjected it in hope, meaning that God had to judicially curse man in which the curse ends up falling upon the earth and all of creation, but yet in hope, meaning that this was all going to change. There's always going to come a day when this suffering will end, and as we are told that everything, the earth will be recreated, we will be recreated, we will receive our glorified bodies, as it says here, in verse 23, and not only creation, but we ourselves, even as believers, even though the Holy Spirit is living within us, even though that that's the first fruit, the, the down payment that we receive because of Christ, we groan inwardly. You know, we groan, and we talked about that, and I was telling you know, stories about 
you know, young, you know, when we were younger, we're not afraid, you know, we can do all kinds of things. And then I said last week, I don't even want to jump down these two steps because who knows what will happen. And, and you know, we, we groan inwardly. We groan outwardly and inwardly. Outwardly, we groan because our bodies are, you know, are decaying and falling apart. And there's, a, there's an expiration date somewhere in our bodies. But inwardly, we groan because as believers, we groan inwardly because we realize that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. We groan inwardly because we're supposed to be like Jesus, and you and I know that we're not. We groan inwardly because we see the decay and the futility that, that affects our loved ones, that affects the world around us. Just think of all the groaning as you can watch the news of every age group in the Middle East watching these children and watching these adults and watching all kinds of people just sobbing and crying and just so numb and there's no words to describe the groaning that's going on in their hearts. And just think about Jesus, the very shortest, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And why did he weep? Because he saw the effect of sin in the life of his loved ones. Lazarus had died. And his sisters were crying, and the world was wailing all around him. That's why he wept. He wept. He knew that he was going <laughs> that God was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he also was affected by it. And he says, so we too, as Jesus, we groan. Now Jesus didn't groan because he wasn't perfect, because he was. But we groan inwardly because we're not. And we groan inwardly because my sin affects you, and your sin affects me, and our sin affects the world. And that's why Jesus said on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning over the condition of the world. Mourning over our sin. Mourning over what is going on in our lives. It's not supposed to be this way. So he goes off and talks about this. And then he says, he says to us this. He says, for in hope we were saved. Not hope that is seen, but that is, that, not hope that is seen is not, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? That reminds me of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We believe these things. We believe in Christ. We have not seen him, but we know. The Bible tells us who he is and what he's done for us. And because of the Spirit, we know that he lives within our heart. And if we hope, he says, we wait for it with patience. And that word patience is, as I said, is a word for bearing up, for holding up. We hold up, we, we continue, we stand no matter, even if we can't stand in our hearts and our arms are weak and our hands are weak and we have no strength in our body, we can still bear up and be patient, waiting in hope because we believe that God said it and he, we believe what he tells us. And now in verse 26, he says, likewise, or likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I think, like other people think, that what he's doing is going back to verse uh, 15, where he said, we are have the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I believe we cry is, is, a, is a, a prayer, a, a, a calling out of desperation that we can go to God as our Father, and be that intimate about it. Because the word cry is the word that Jesus used when he, when he was on the cross. And he cried out, my God, my God. And so now I'm thinking here, and it says here, likewise, meaning in the same way, after I've explained the suffering and this groaning that goes on within us, we as Christians groan, the world groans without hope, we groan in hope. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And this weakness is the weakness of that we're living into this world of decay. And we, we struggle and we're suffering. He says, for we, do, we, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. This is a unique word. It's actually a compound verb, and it's got three words connected. It's only used one other time, and Paul didn't make it up. He didn't create it. He, Luke uses it in, uh, in chapter 10, verse 40, where it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And the compound word has got two, it's got two prefixes and then a word. And the prefix, one prefix means along with, and the other prefix means on the behalf of or in place of. And the word, the verb itself is lambano, which means to take or to receive. And so what he is saying is that the Spirit is along with us, is coming along with us. We have a great heavy load, this weakness of our flesh, this weakness of our sinful nature, this weakness of our bodies, this weakness of this world. We live in it. We are, we are faced by so many issues in our life that we don't know where to go. And so that's what he says here. For we do not know what to pray when we get into those situations. That's our weakness. The Spirit doesn't remove that weakness, but He helps us in it. So He looks at us and comes alongside of us as a paraclete, right? The paraclete for the Holy Spirit, the word for, for the name for the Holy Spirit is one who comes alongside and one who calls out alongside. I always think of it as a coach, right? On a football field or a baseball or soccer, walking and running on the sidelines. You know, I'm here, I'm telling you, I'm encouraging, I'm supporting you. The same thing here, but this is that he carries this load. He, he picks up this load, this People were using words like a, a log that is very heavy, and you try to do it yourself. I was thinking about somebody asking help for the communion table once, and it doesn't look heavy, but it is. So I asked somebody to help me with it and carry it. I had to take one end. I couldn't do it myself. Somebody else had to come on the other side and come face to face with me and help me carry that load. And that's what he is saying here. The, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, and in our place helps us, but does not tell us, don't worry about a thing, I'll take care of it for you. He doesn't do that. He engages with us, for we do not know what to pray. And he says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. We do not know what to pray as we ought it's not saying how to pray. It's saying what to pray. There's many, many people on different sides of this argument. And the argument I'm thinking of is this groaning. Intercedes for us. Notice Paul includes himself in this. With groanings too deep for words. Now who's doing the groaning? Is it the Holy Spirit doing the groaning, or is it us that's doing the groaning? And there are people that we love on both sides, people that I respect on both sides, says it's only us, and others saying it's, it's the Spirit groaning. And they have strong arguments for it. My feeling is, is that it's, it's the Spirit comes alongside of us, while we are weak and groaning and takes our groanings and takes, him, takes them for himself. And as it says here, he, the Spirit himself, he does it himself. He then advocates for us. He then takes the word of God. He then takes our prayers to the Father. 
Because we have no words to describe what we're going through. We are so weak, we are so confused that we don't know what to pray when we get into those situations. I'm sure you've been there. When you have no idea what to say to God. I've had, uh, the name Ellsworth is not a name that has been uh, something, uh, someone's name that I've known much very of, but there's two Ellsworths in my life. Certainly Sally's Ellsworth and your Ellsworth, and I had a, a brief uh, time of spending uh, time with him before the Lord uh, took him into to his presence. Uh, but there's another Ellsworth, and this was a, one of my churches in the, in the mountains. And Ellsworth was, a, a, an, a, a, I think he was either late 60s or 70s, he was an electrician. And um, he and his wife were members of, of our church. And there was the day when we had Bible study in the parsonage, when I lived in the parsonage. And um, someone told me before the service, before the, the, the um, Bible study began a few hours, that Ellsworth had an accident. And um, so I inquired, and they said that, uh, I said, what happened? Well, evidently, Ellsworth was helping a, poor, a really poor farmer in our family, in our, in our church family, and he went on a pole and was working on the pole but had shut the power off. But while he was working on the pole, somebody turned the power on. And he broke his neck, he broke his pelvis, he ruptured his spleen, and the bolt of electricity went through his arm, through his outside of his back. And so when Bible study began, I said, you know, what's going on? And they said he was in surgery. So at the end of the evening, I called the hospital up and I said, can you tell me where Ellsworth is? And they said, he's still in surgery. And this was after 9 o'clock. So I said, after a long day, I said, I've got to go up there. So I drove, and it was a f almost an hour's drive, 50 minutes to where we used to live, up to Albany, to Albany Med. And as I get there, they say, the, the, they were very helpful. By God's grace, all the pieces fell into place. And I walk, I, I walk into this waiting room, and they said, this is where you're going to be. And who are you? And I said, I'm Pastor Jim. And they said, oh, yeah, your name's on the list. You can stay here. I said, Okay. I said, where's the family? They said, well, Ellsworth is coming out of surgery right now. And I said, uh, they said, you can stay here and wait. So all of a sudden, his wife and son and daughter-in-law came, and they were sobbing and crying and very upset, and uh, they said, you can go in now. Well, I want to tell you that I started groaning immediately because... If you ever want to feel weak, that's a place where you feel weak, where you have no strength on your own or the ability. Here you are the pastor. Certainly, you're going to be able to say something. And that's what happens when we serve one another. We, 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 we give our lives to people to come alongside them. Ed Welch wrote that book, Caring for Others, and he wrote that other book, Side by Side, and he talks about intentionally growing relationships. And it's a risk, right? Because we may have to come alongside people where we're going to be sharing their lives, and God is going to bring us to a place where we are so weak we don't know what to say or do. And so I walk in with the family, and all I heard was inhale and wailing. Because when we looked, there was this person laying on the table in the middle of an ICU that did not look like a human being, or did not even look like Ellsworth. The only thing that looked like Ellsworth was his big, stuff, big stiff mustache. But he was, he was just, it was just hideous to look at his body. He was distorted. And he had so many things going on 
that his, they were, had him on medication and they, his body was swollen and his head was swollen and everything was, and I'm not going to go on all pieces, but it was, it was grotesque. And I'm groaning even more now because they know they're going to ask me to say something. And, they look, and I'm just scared to death. I'm going, Lord, what am I going to say? How do I pray? What do, what do I ask for? He's going to die. Believer, certainly a believer, very hardcore believer, the family. So she, his wife comes up to me, I think her name was Beatrice, came up to me and she goes, Pastor, would you pray? And I want to say no. <laughs> I have no words to say. I don't know what to say. But you say something. You did. And I, all I just said, Lord, you just, we don't know what to ask. We don't know what to pray for, but I'm praying for the family who's here watching Ellsworth and I just think it was the most pathetic prayer I could ever say. And the following Sunday, they stood up, they stood up and turned around and thanked the church for my tremendous prayer and thanking him for being there. So for 17 weeks, he was in ICU, and I went and visited him and read Scripture to him for 17 weeks, three days a week. And God brought healing to him. He wasn't the same. But boy, I had no words. I was so weak. I was just groaning. I just, all I wanted to do was just hold his hand and groan because that's all my heart could do. And then there was Stuart, a man who, handsome, sweet, middle-aged guy, I led to the Lord. And he was such a, a, a troubled man. He had such troubles. Even as a follower of Christ, he had so many problems. And one day he had some real issues in church and he stood up and wanted to ask for prayer. And he stood up and all he did is that, I need your prayers. And he just sobbed. And the church was so still. And he just cried and wailed out loud standing in, up in, the, in the pew. So I went down and held him and hugged him and said, Don't, you know, Stuart will pray for you. So I prayed for him and I said, Stuart, he was very, he was just had a tra tragic life. Even though his life was changing. He loved the Lord. He was eating the Bible. I was discipling him. We were having such great times together, even in the midst of his failures. And I said, Stuart, I'm going to talk to you on Wednesday. And I talked to him. I, I said, call me up on Wednesday. And he didn't call me up on Wednesday. And he and I, my heart sank. And then Thursday morning before I was going to work, his mother called me up and said, Stewart's is intensive care. He tried to take his life, and he failed, but he was dying. So I drive into Pittsfield, and I go into the I go in, and the family's waiting for me to get there. It was like I I had I was at, had to go to work, and then I came back from Albany and drove to Pittsfield. So they they were around the bed. And as soon as I walked in, his mother, who's a member of our church, says, Oh, Pastor Jim, you're here. Stuart's been waiting for you. And I didn't know what to say because I knew he was dying. And I just, again, this person that I fell in love with, this person that his life was so tragic, this person who groaned in his life as a, as a short life as a believer, I just wanted to hold on to his hand and be alone and pray with him. But I prayed, and he died. At his funeral was the biggest, his funeral was the biggest event that happened in the church when I was there for 14 years. There was no room to stand. It was amazing how many people came. But those are two of situations where you feel this need for someone to intercede for you or someone to take these groanings because you don't know what the will of God is right at that point when, when at our prayer meetings I've been talking about you know uh, what do we assume when we walk into this room to pray and so I talked about God's uh, independence right he doesn't depend upon anybody he doesn't wait for anybody to do anything he is the one who acts. 
And then I talked about God being changeless. Aren't we glad that God, there is no, there is no darkness in him, there is no changing in him. He's consistently the same. And then we looked at uh, a, a videotape of, uh, with uh, R.C. Sproul, and I, I wanted to bring that up about the will of God. And so you figure, what is the will of God? And, there, and one of the things I struggled with, and I told the group that was there, that I struggled with the will of God when I first became a believer, because here I was uh, struggling with the fact that God already, right when I became a believer, was calling me in the ministry. I felt this call, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was the right thing. And so these well-intentioned people came up to me and they said, Jim, do you know what's the will of God in your life? Do you know what the will of God is in your life? And I had no idea of finding out what the will of God was for my life. I didn't know what it was because they were saying, you need to be in the center of God's will. Well, that's the, that's the worst thing you can tell anybody, that you need to be in the center of God's will. Because you know what, folks? There's no way of finding out what the center of God's will for you is in your life. This one gentleman who wrote a book back in 85, and when I was in Bible college and someone told me this book was, was available, I took it and I read it and it was great, and it's by a gentleman called Gary Friesen, and it's Decision Making in the Will of God, 1985 I think it was, and he says the idea of an individual will of God for every detail of a person's life is not found in Scripture. Many believers are investing a great deal of time and energy searching for something that is non-existent. And so we don't know, as R.C. Sproul would tell us, that there are, he says, can people ask him all the time, can you tell me what the will of God is? And he says, well, what will are you talking about? Are you talking about the secret will of God? Are you talking about the decrees of God? And something that uh, I think it was Ferguson or somebody had given this quote to me, I'm sorry, this uh, verse, and, and I hope you all remember it, and I know I, I've tried to talk about it many times, is Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words that are in this law. There are secret things that God still holds on to that we do not know everything. And that is, what is God's will for your life and my life in a personal way? None of us can know. Now we can take one step at a, at a time and how do we know what our will for God is tomorrow? Well, when we get there. When we go through that door for tomorrow, we will know what God's will is for our life for that day. And for me to go into ministry, you know, there are ways of understanding. The church confirms it. And, and you know, I still continue to call and uh, feel the call. And I went to Bible college and then I went to seminary and I pastored churches. And it just felt like people recognized it and confirmed that I had that gift. But there was no way of me knowing what to do. How do I know now, looking for a job, if this is what God wants me to do? Should I take this job or that job? Or I was talking with Evan a while ago, and he's looking at colleges, right? Where do, I, you know, where do you go to school? Where's the right place for you? Well, if you pray enough, God will show you where to go. This is, this is not something that we can tell people, because we don't know. We are always, if God is in control, the decretive will of God is the sovereign will of God. And if you and I believe that God is sovereign, then you and I are never out of the center of God's will. Never. Ever out of the center of God's will, because we can't be. Because we can't resist it. Whatever, whatever, whatsoever comes to pass, comes to pass. If God says this, it's this. You and I can't change this. This has to happen. But when it comes to the preceptive will of God, or the Bible, then you and I can resist, and we do that very well. But that's what's revealed to us. That's what Deuteronomy says to us. He goes, but the things that are revealed to us, Moses writes to us, those are the things that belong to us, and that's what we do. But there are times when we get to a place that we have to do what we read today, right? Trust in the Lord 
With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. How do we make decisions in our life? We make sure that if we take a job, it doesn't violate any laws of God. It doesn't break any moral, moral the laws of God. If we want to marry somebody, we make sure that this person is a believer. We make sure that this person loves the Lord, that we have the same things in mind. Do we do this? Do we do that? We have no idea. There is no way. There are no leaves to read. There's no, nothing to going to give us any kind of insight of what the future holds. But what we have here is God telling us what the future holds, and he holds the future for us, and he has promised us in Christ that this world will end, and our suffering will end, and we will be given a whole new heart and a whole new body, and the world that is decaying and futility and corruption around us will be recreated. That's the hope that we have. That's what we can count on. But when we get into those ICU rooms, or we go into a hospital, when we don't know what to say, God's word, all we can do is just go, we don't know what to say. What is God's will? Colossians, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the will of God. And we know that. And that's what we should be praying for each other. And that's the, how we guide our prayers. We pray that for one another. Yes, we can pray that God would bring healing. Did I pray for Ellsworth to bring healing? I said, yes, Lord. If it's your will, bring Ellsworth healing. But be with us as, be with the family as they patiently wait to see what your will is. There are times when you do not know. That's what he says, because the Spirit himself comes with us and picks up this load. And what does he say in verse 27? He says, and he, the Father who searches hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit is God. Jesus is God. The Father is God. So he says he knows the mind of the Spirit. So when he goes, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's why verse 28 makes all the sense because we know, now we know why all things work together. If the Spirit of God is interceding for us and taking our groans, because that's what he has done. He has given us groans because we are groaning inwardly, because we don't like what's going on, but we know who to bring it to, but we don't know what to say. So he takes that pain, he takes that anguish, he takes that dilemma, and he takes that from our heart because he searches our hearts, and the Spirit takes it to the Father for us. And he says it in such a way that how can God disagree with God? It's always going to be yes when the Spirit of God prays for us. That's why we know that all things work together for good. That's how we know that all things will work together for good because that's what God has in store for us. That's what God has for us. Good. And that's why 28 through 30 are so important. That's why we go to those verses, because that's the very core of our faith. That's what we hope. But we don't know what the will of God is from day to day, but we know what the perceptive will of God is, how we're supposed to love one another, how we're supposed to love God, how we're supposed to pray for one another. 
These are the things that we know that God wants us to do. But where we're going to do, what we're going to say, what we're going to, where we're going to go, what job are we going to take, I have no idea. But we can be in such situations that God, we, we just don't know what God is going to do. So that's why I say in these prayer meetings, what do we assume when we walk in this door? We better assume that God is good and that God is great. Because we don't want a God who's great and powerful, but not very good. And that's why he says all things work together for good to those who love God. Because all things are working because it is God who is working in our lives and putting those groanings in our heart because we have the Spirit of God and we are sons and daughters of God. And just want to close with something that I think is really cool. This a book, sorry. Uh, <laughs> J.I. Packer and uh, Carol, Carolyn Nystrom, has, they've written a book. Uh, of course, our late, our late uh, brother and great scholar and author J.I. Packer uh, wrote this book with Carolyn Nystrom. He's, a, he's a, an Anglican and she's a Presbyterian. And, uh, and the, word, and the, the title is Praying, Finding Our Way Through Duty to Delight. And I like, I like what she says here. And it's very helpful to hear what she says. She goes, when teaching prayer to children or new, newly uh, uh, born adults in Christ, she says this, God fixes our prayers on the way up. Some people get so entangled in the various do's and don'ts of prayer so transfixed by the problem of sorting out what is our part and what is God's part, so bogged down fretting over whether they are mere flawed humans, should ask anything of a holy almighty God, or conversely whether there is any point in asking God, since he will do what he wants to, that they become paralyzed about praying. Why ask God for anything? And there is no way to get it right. That's what they say. That's a quote. She says, in Romans 8.26, however, provides wonderful release from this paralysis. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's wordless, right? There are no words that are spoken. There's just no words that can be... that, that They're just... It's the, the pain... The anguish, the dilemma is so deep, there's nothing that you could say. So it isn't that some people call this a prayer language. Because if it was a prayer language, and I'm not talking, I'm, saying, I'm not saying anything about tongues, but I'm saying that this is a prayer language for everybody, the groaning. And what Paul writes to us that people who do speak in tongues is a gift that God gives not to everyone. So it can't be praying in tongues. He says, we are praying persons. We as praying persons are being prayed for by the Spirit himself. So she says this, don't fret, just pray. God fixes our prayers on the way up. If he doesn't answer the prayer we made, he will answer the prayer that we should have made. And this is all anyone needs to know. One way or another, God's response will be a positive response, though it may be, I'm adjusting the terms of your prayer to give you something better than even you asked for. Or maybe it, be, it may be, I know that this isn't the moment in which I know that this isn't the moment in which your answer, that in which answering your prayer would bring you and others the most blessing. So I'm asking you to wait. Or it may be, I'm answering your prayer, but you don't know the strategy I'm working on. And it, and it doesn't at this moment feel or like I'm answering at all. Nonetheless, it is. Keep praying, keep trusting, keep looking for what down the road I may be able in my wisdom to let you see. I thought that was really cool that he is fixing prayers on the way up.
This is a hope that God has given to us. This is a blessing. This is a privilege. This is something that we need. I know we need in ministry because we care. We want to come alongside of you. We want to be the ones who pray for you when you have nothing to say. But when we can't, we know that there is someone who will take those groans for you and bring them to the Father. This is a ministry that I pray that you want to have with others. And that's what it means to love one another. That's what it means to come alongside each other. That's what it means to be part of a family of God. Because we have this promise and hope. I mean, this is mind-boggling that the Spirit of God does that for us. And God gives us this great privilege. Why? Because someone died for us. Someone gave his life for us. Someone, Jesus, gave us hope where we had no hope. He who had no sin became sin so that you and I may become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would allow these heavy but yet such precious words to fall upon our hearts with thanksgiving. That, Lord, you would give us a joy in our heart knowing that we are so weak at times. That we are struggling with our sin and we wonder if you, you won't love us anymore because of who we are. But if we continue to read Scripture, we truly find out that if we are followers of Christ, this is a battle that, we will, that will ensue for the rest of our lives. That we are in a battle and a war against the flesh. We live in a world that is falling apart, that is suffering, that is decaying. We live in bodies that are doing the same, but Lord, we... We know that all of this is going to change because you have promised that it would. And so I pray that these familiar words that we have read over the weeks now have taken on a heavier and weightier meaning in our life, that maybe the lights have gone on a little bit brighter, that these are more powerful than they used to be before. O oh Lord, open up ways where we can care for one another. Open up ways, Lord, where we can come side by side, where we may be the very instrument of grace because we trust that you have given us the Spirit to be able to do that. We thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. We don't deserve any of its benefits, and yet you died for us and you continue to love us, and we are the Lord's possessions. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Singing Breathe on Me, Breath of God, number 334.